0: tuned into The Benefit Broadcast, the Conceal or Reveal edition, a six-part series spotlighting a collective of inspirational brow raisers. We'll be opening up the conversation to reveal perspectives on topics that many choose to conceal and embracing self-expression, acceptance and celebration, whatever that sounds like.
1: I'm Tony Tone. I'm a content creator and author of I Wish I Knew This Earlier, Lessons on Love. And I'm joined by Olivia Petter. Hi, I'm Olivia Petter.
0: I'm a journalist, host of the Millennial Love podcast and author of a book by the same name. Today, we're going to walk into the world of relationships, talking through everything from recognizing red flags to our tips on rebuilding yourself after leaving a relationship. So let's get into it.
1: First, we're going to throw it back to talk about our early experiences with love and relationships. Olivia, tell us about your first love.
0: So, I think I was 9 and <laughs> <laughs> it was at a school fair and I was with my best friend and I remember both of us fell in love with the same boy because that's what you do when you're 9 and he was the older brother of one of our classmates, I think, and Honestly, we spent the whole fair following this boy around. This poor boy, I think his name was Oscar, we spent the entire fair following him around. I don't think we spoke a word to him because we were too shy, but we just wanted to look and see what he was doing. It was quite quite (laughs) problematic looking back on it. Um, But we just spent the entire time following him around, trying to get him to talk to us. As opposed to going up to him and talking to him ourselves, we were just hoping that if we looked at him long enough and hid in the shadows long enough, he might eventually come and say hello. You know what, I get that. And he
1: didn't. I wonder why. I wonder why. (laughs) You know what, I get that though, because even at this age, strategic positioning, I still do that. I love that it has a (laughs) phrase. I'm so happy it has a name. It makes me feel much better. Okay,
0: Tony, tell me about your most important breakup.
1: I would say my most important breakup happened in my late 20s because that was the start of me really finding myself. The relationship itself wasn't like a horrible relationship, but I lost a lot of myself in that relationship and I didn't realise. But you know, in hindsight, you look back and you're like, wow, I would have done a lot differently. Mm. That's what happened to me. And that breakup was the foundation for me, like writing my first book. So. It really important for that reason. It basically started my career. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if you get a break out of it, it's definitely right? a good thing. Right, a good breakup. <laughs>
0: um, I've only had one, actually, if I think about breakups that I've officially had, like an actual breakup. Okay. So that one is gonna have to be my most important <laughs> breakup because it's the only one. So he broke up with me, and at the time I was absolutely devastated. It kind of came out of nowhere because obviously you kind of always are devastated when someone dumps you. Mm-hmm. But it was such a learning curve for me because I realised that actually this guy was so wrong for me from the start and there were so many signs that the relationship was never going to work and that we were actually really incompatible. And I think it was really reflected in the way that he dumped me because he said... First of all, we met up and he spoke for about 45 minutes about completely other random stuff, making (laughs) me think that it was fine, which I think is so annoying. That's weird. Because just get in there and just dump them and leave. But it was like a whole preamble. And then he said, oh yeah, I think you're great, but I just don't really see a future. But I think you're like really hot and funny. That was what he said (laughs) Wait, to make me feel better. (laughs) Verbatim verbatim, you don't forget words like that, and I know they're nice (laughs) words, but then obviously all I hear is stupid, vapid, superficial, and so that kind of stuck with me, and it just really summed him up as a person, as having this superiority complex, and I just realised that I never need to go near men like that again.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm (laughs) glad you
0: guys were apart, because he does not sound very nice. it was bad. Uh, When you said you felt like you lost yourself in that first relationship, what did you mean? So I guess
1: when I say I lost myself, I started diminishing parts of myself in an attempt to make the other person happy. So like a lot of self-betrayal. And that wasn't even necessarily because they asked me to, but I felt like I had to put them first to my own detriment. And because of that, like I disregarded my wants, my preferences, my desires, my future, my career, because I was like so focused on them and just supporting them and making them happy. And by the end of the relationship, I realized that actually the person I was becoming wasn't actually the best version of me. And when I left that relationship, that's when I started exploring like, who I am outside of being with a person. And when I did that, I realized that, wow, actually, there's so much more to me than I allowed myself to really encounter in that relationship. And so I just took life by the horns. And I was just like, I'm gonna do me and be selfish and prioritise mm. my well-being, prioritise my career, prioritise myself. And since that point, I have been the happiest I've ever been.
0: Mm. Do you think that's something that women have to fight harder to do in terms of prioritising yourself and not losing yourself to a partner because you're constantly kind of sacrificing everything to please them?
1: Definitely. I think society promotes this ride or die chick concept, mm. which is so poisonous. Society expects women to just forego everything they want to do and their entire life to have this partner, to have this relationship, to have this family. And I think relationships are treated like the penultimate achievement when you're a woman. Whereas like guys, oh yeah, you know, focus on your career, focus on you, everything can wait, kids can wait, marriage can wait. Mm. When you're like a little girl, you're literally programmed to find Prince Charming. I was talking to someone about this today actually, because I think it's so different for
0: men and women when it comes to dating people in your 30s, because, obviously, men can be a bit more chilled about it, <laughs> whereas women are constantly kind of thinking, OK, but where is this going? Because I hate to talk about the ticking time of fertility, but, <laughs> but it's a thing that you think yeah, about The your programme, think about that men just aren't. And I think I was talking to someone today about this, how they were talking to their boyfriend about, you know, where is this going, where is the future? And it's like a conversation that she didn't want to have, but yeah. also at the same time, she's about to turn 30, she needs to have that conversation in order to know, you know, am I wasting my time here or not?
1: Yeah, it's so true. A lot of my friends in their thirties have either frozen their eggs or they're exploring it. My friends who aren't in relationships and I I get it. Yeah. And it's an overwhelming thought, kind of scary, but I understand and I agree. Once you're in your thirties and you're a woman, it's like everyone around you is saying, Baby, baby, like where's your baby? Where's your husband? Yeah, and it's just yeah. yeah, but I'm over it.
0: Yeah, I yeah. It's funny the egg freezing thing. I've never really thought about that, but everyone always says if you're going to do it, you have to do it in your 20s because that's when your eggs are the freshest. <laughs> but also it's really expensive, who can afford to do that in their 20s? And not just that, like
1: in your 20s, you're not thinking about like that stuff, yeah. you're just having fun, you're just like figuring yourself out, trying to figure out life out. And it's almost like you need to prep for the possibility of not finding someone when you're young, but like you said, it's expensive. Mm. But yeah, there's a lot that goes into planning for the future, I think, when it comes to being a woman.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to tell me about an early experience with
1: heartbreak, joy or pain? An early experience with heartbreak that jumps out at me. I remember my university boyfriend finding out he cheated. That was horrible. I'd never been in that situation before. And it was really difficult for me at the time. I think I was about 21. Yeah, 2021, 20, And it was tough. Typically, you don't focus on why the other person was being horrible. It's... Why did they do that? Why am I not enough? Why did he think this acceptable? What could I do differently? Or what could I have done differently? And there was a lot of self-blame and beating myself up for something they did. And then I had to just like put myself in check and say, no, it's not a reflection of me. It's a reflection of this person and their lack of respect for me. But it was so horrible because when you really care about someone and you respect them, you expect that they're gonna reciprocate that respect, but that doesn't always happen. and. It was horrible. Like, I couldn't sleep, I couldn't eat. I just felt so dejected. And it really taught me a lot of lessons about people and how some people don't actually have your best interests at heart. Mm. And that was a hard pill to swallow, I think, because it was my first like proper heartbreak.
0: Did it affect the way that
1: you were able to trust partners moving forward? Surprisingly, no. But that's because I'm like a natural optimist. (laughs) Like I go into relationships and I'm like, yep, everything's (laughs) going to be great. And it could have, but based on just my nature and how I approach everything in life, it didn't. But I feel like for a lot of women and, and men, being cheated on does have an impact. And it's very hard for them to trust moving forward. But I'm a big believer in... Everyone being innocent, unless proven guilty. And I would hate to punish someone new for someone else's mistakes. So it didn't really affect me in in that sense. What about you? Early experience of heartbreak, joy or pain?
0: It's tricky because I think my earliest experience of heartbreak was kind of self-induced. And I guess what I mean by that, so I write about it in the book. There was this boy at school who I was mildly obsessed with. And we kind of dated a little bit, but then... I messed things up and then we barely spoke. But then we kind of started chatting again when he got a new girlfriend and he lived really close to me. So we kind of saw each other a bit and I just fell head over heels in love with this guy and convinced myself that, you know, we had this tumultuous love story and we were going to overcome all these (laughs) hurdles and it was going to be really complicated. I just watched too much of like (laughs) The O.C. and One Tree Hill. And (laughs) basically in my head, just created this incredible love story that went on for years, and, you know, he would message me on my birthday every now and then, and we'd chat over the years, like, when I got to university, but nothing ever happened. And I would see him at parties, and we'd have, like, a little flirt, but that was it. But in my head, everything he said to me meant something transcendental, and I would hold on to every little word. I remember every compliment he ever gave me, even now. And I think it's... I don't think it's anything to do with him. I think it's just because I... I'm a hopeless romantic and a storyteller in my own head (laughs) and I love to cling on to drama even if it's (laughs) not real. Um, (laughs) So there's this poem by Sylvia Plath called Mad Girl's Love Song and the refrain because it's a villanelle the refrain is I think I made you up inside my head. And that's what you did. I made him up inside my head. (laughs) Okay so (laughs) I mean he exists.
1: Unrequited love. Yeah
0: yeah unrequited love that I don't even think was real. I think I was just indulging in something because I loved the feeling of yeah. having so many feelings.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think that happens. A lot of people can relate to that. I think that happens to a lot of people, yeah. particularly with like falling in love with the idea of someone or the idea of like a fantasy that we've created as opposed to the reality right in front of us.
0: I think dating apps kind of foster that idea anyway of fantasizing about a person because it's all about seeing a curated version of someone on an app and it's all about this kind of idea of who they are as opposed to who they actually are. So I think it kind of encourages for dating app users to kind of put all their own projections of who this person is based on their profile as opposed to based on actually meeting someone in real life where you can read body language and chemistry and eye contact. So I think it's very easy to project these big fantasies onto people now. All right, it's time to check in with all of you and see what you've been saying on social media. Okay, here's one for you, Tony. I find myself getting attached way too quickly every time I start dating someone new. How do
1: I deal with this cycle? I would say live in the moment. Don't fall for potential. So part of living in the moment involves really assessing who the person is in front of you and getting to know that person as opposed to creating the potential that you think they can achieve another important part of not falling too quickly is retaining the social networks you already have your existing social networks i think sometimes when people fall head over heels super fast it's because they've blocked out everyone else in their life and they are just focusing on this new person who's entered their life so retain your existing routine maintain your existing social circles Live in the moment. And I think that will ease the process into falling in love more gradually. That's such good advice. Okay, so this call-in is interesting. It says, I'm healing from past relationships and want to be single for a while, but I've just met this amazing person. Do I give them a chance or stay in my lane? Ooh, I think that's really tricky. Obviously, if you've met someone
0: that you really like, it can be incredibly tempting to just dive right in head first. But the truth is if you're overcoming heartbreak or any sort of trauma from a past relationship, it's not the best idea to dive in straight away because you'll end up regretting it and I think you're probably not in the best headspace to get straight back into a relationship. I think if you've made the decision that you need some time to be single, then you should stick to that because you ultimately know what's best for you. I think ultimately if you dive into something before you're ready with another person, then you're just gonna end up making the same mistakes that you made in your previous relationship. Facts, facts. (laughs) (laughs) it's just not a good idea and you know I think at the end of the day if you have found someone that you really like and see a future with but you're not ready the best thing to do is just be honest with them about that and say look I really like you and I do see a potential future with you but right now I'm not in the best headspace for a relationship and if they are someone that is right for you then it will happen and they will wait They will wait, and they will be patient. I think it's best with all of these things just to be really upfront and just communicate how you're feeling because you don't want to string anyone along. Okay, this is a good one that I have been thinking about a lot recently. How do you
1: know if you're being love-bombed? Okay, so love-bombing, which is basically lavishing someone with grandiose gestures or displays of affection. I would say... You know you're being love bombed when you feel overwhelmed by the grandiosity. Like initially, you're going to feel it in your gut that this person is doing way too much too soon. I think that's a big sign. Another big indicator is this absence of reciprocated energy. It's different when you're really, really into someone, they're really into you, and there's this like natural progression. But I think sometimes with love bombers, what they do is try to lure someone in, and that's part of their process, right? To manipulate you into wanting them, or wanting to be with them, or staying with them. So I think if you feel like, okay, I'm not really feeling this person as much as they're feeling me, but they're doing all this stuff, then that is another good indicator. Mm. But I think sometimes people worry because they're like, oh, what if someone really cares about me and I care about them and they just naturally show me they like me. I think that's fine, but you need to feel comfortable through the process. But often with love bombers, initially there's a bit of hesitation and we don't feel completely comfortable.
0: Yeah, I think listen to your gut because also love bombing ultimately, like you said, it's about manipulation, but it's also a form of control, isn't it? Down the line because then it's like you're reliant on that person and you're kind of waiting to go back to that stage when they are showering you with affection to the point where you then put up with sometimes abusive behavior because that's ultimately what it is isn't it it's a form of emotional abuse isn't it
1: yeah and another good indicator on on your point is if they hold it over you Mm. so like love bombers will do this grandiose thing and if they don't feel like you are receptive in the way they want then it's oh, but I did X, Y, Z, but I gave you A, B, C. So I think if they hold it over you, that's another sign. Mm, Definitely, definitely. Oh, this one's deep. Why do I feel lonely even though I'm in a relationship?
0: Oh, that is so tough. Look, I think if you're feeling lonely when you're in a relationship, it is a sign that something is not right. And I think this really speaks to our understanding of loneliness as a society, because I think a lot of people think loneliness, they think isolation, Mm -hmm. when actually you can be in the middle of a nightclub surrounded by people and feel like the loneliest you've ever felt. And the same is true with a partner who's not treating you well or with someone who is just not right for you. So I think try to examine where that feeling comes from and what is wrong in your relationship maybe and what is your partner not giving you that you want or need and that's ultimately where you'll get to the root of where this lonely feeling is coming from but I think the most important thing is just to recognize that something is not right because you shouldn't feel lonely in a relationship that is healthy.
1: That's so true and when I think back to the times I felt lonely in a relationship it's because my emotional needs weren't being met or I felt like the person didn't see me and by see me I mean, see me for who I really am, that they fell for this picture of me and their interaction with me was based on that picture as opposed to genuinely trying to understand me as a person. So yeah, I completely agree with that. Now let's head into our next segment, Conceal and Reveal. Here we want to talk about the things which we found hard to express or show in the past and some topics we'd love to shed light on today. So Olivia, the first one, tell us about one red flag you always find yourself ignoring.
0: Okay, so the red flag I think I always find myself ignoring is quite a complicated one, but I think it's really hard to spot and it's that I often find myself leaning towards narcissistic men. Wow, that's a big red flag. Um, Yeah, obviously narcissism is a huge red flag, but it's really difficult to spot, I think, because I think narcissists tend to be very good at disguising who they are. And it goes back to what we were saying earlier about love bombing. I think that's quite a narcissistic trait of someone because Mm -hmm. it's about showering someone with gifts, but not as an act of just generosity, but as an act of they like being the person who is showering you with gifts and it makes them feel good Mm. as opposed to it being like an altruistic thing. It's about putting them in a position of power. Mm. And that I think is a really narcissistic trait. And even though it doesn't sound that insidious at the start, I think if you are with someone like that down the line, then you get into all sorts of problems with control and, and emotional abuse and manipulation like we were talking about earlier. So I think it's really important to kind of look out for things like love bombing and look out for things like when someone is kind of showing you a bit too much too early on that you do feel uncomfortable with it is quite a big one it's quite complicated (laughs) would you say that
1: there are any other ways to like sense someone is displaying elements of narcissism or slightly narcissistic it's tricky
0: because it's different from vanity so it's not the same as someone who is obsessed with the way they look but i think If someone, you know, the obvious things are someone who doesn't really show that much of an interest in your life and isn't interested in hanging out with you and your friends, isn't interested in what you do, isn't interested in kind of engaging in the hobbies and activities that you want to do, it's just kind of always finding a way for you to slot into their life as opposed to kind of amalgamating them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Okay, Tony, I'm going to ask you a conceal. What is one thing you think you withhold when it comes to pursuing love and relationships?
1: Now, I don't really withhold anything. But back in the day, I definitely withheld vulnerability, especially emotional vulnerability. But I've come to realize I did that because I was in situations where I did not feel completely comfortable. So my partner now, amazing. The energy is great and I feel very comfortable saying exactly what's on my mind. But back in the day when I deal with people who are commitment phobes or people who I felt that were somewhat untrustworthy, I might feel certain things, but I wouldn't share those things because I'd hold back. And I thought I was holding back because I didn't want to be too affectionate too quickly, but it's actually because I didn't feel 110% comfortable. But after being with someone that makes me feel that way, I realised, actually, no, I wasn't being vulnerable for a very sad reason. Mm. And now I feel like I can be completely myself, completely open, which is nice. God, that's so good. I think we should all strive towards that. Okay, let's move on to our reveal section
0: tony do you want to tell me what are some relationship green flags early on i know you're very good at talking about this because you talk about it in your book
1: i do love some green flags (laughs) i think we we pay so much attention to like red flags red flags look out for like the bad stuff bad stuff and that could make dating really really complicated and it can put you on edge but i think it's good to like turn it on its head so green flags for me are people who are active listeners and i say active because they're not just listening to hear they're listening to understand and you see that play out in the way they respond to the things you said because they've taken mental notes someone who manages conflict respectfully because you're not always going to agree with things right sometimes you're going to disagree but it's about the language they use their body language as well whether you feel safe enough to like speak your mind in front of them so i think that's a good sign Another green flag for me is someone that makes an active effort to love you how you want to be loved so understanding that everyone is different everyone has different preferences and making the effort to really get to know like your likes and dislikes what does your like ideal relationship look like how do you like to receive love I think that's an amazing green flag because it shows that this person is not just in this relationship to receive they also want to give mm. so that's just three that's three but I can think of way more of it yeah. that's three for you it's like <laughs> love languages isn't it yeah there are five Five of them five, support, yeah. about figuring
0: out if you have compatible love languages.
1: Yeah, so receiving gifts is one. Words of affirmation is another. Physical touch, quality time and acts of service. Do you know your love language? I, I
0: don't. <laughs> you need to do the quiz. I know I know what my partner's is. Um oh, okay. His is gift giving. <laughs> I don't know what mine is. <laughs> okay. Okay. You should do
1: the quiz. Yeah,
0: I need to do the I need to do the the quiz.
1: <laughs> do you no. know yours? My top three are quality time, words of affirmation, then physical touch.
0: I think quality time is probably mine. I think mine probably
1: similar to yours. Okay. Quite. Common. So you can
0: have more than one.
1: Well, well, yeah. You can have more than one. Okay. When you do the test, you'll see that they order them. So they'll show you the one that is like most aligned to you. So I think like for for the majority of people, all of the love languages play a role in their life, but you're going to have some that are more important to you than others. Sure. Okay, a reveal for you. Hmm. What's one thing that you're open about early on in a relationship?
0: I'm not open about much. <laughs> um, That's but, too funny. <laughs> I try. Well, because I think in the past I have been too open. Okay. So I think I I wear my heart on my sleeve, and I just find it very difficult to hide the fact that I like someone. Okay. Particularly if I've if I've had a few drinks, um, <laughs> it all kind of comes out, and it's just very easy to tell. You know, I'll be particularly affectionate with them, or. I will just be overtly flirtatious with them. It's very hard for me to hide the fact that I really like someone. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But I think when you're too open about that too early on, you make yourself too vulnerable. And then you make yourself more open to getting hurt. So I think if you can, try and withhold that a little bit just to protect yourself. You know, it's, it's fine and good to be honest about your feelings. But try not to put too much forward too soon because then you could end up getting hurt. Is there anything you're open about quite early on? Well, I mean, I'm open about the fact that I like someone. I'm working on it. (laughs) I'm still still open about that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I am really working on it. Other than that, no. (laughs) Now we're going to dive a little deeper with some DMC. So for those of you outside of the UK or who just aren't familiar with the term, that's short for deep, meaningful chat. So let's start by talking about how to recognise red flags.
1: So there are so many different red flags, but I think one way to recognise them is to really pay attention to how people leave you feeling, as well as how they leave other people feeling. So as an example, one red flag may be someone who demonstrates a lack of respect to anyone outside of their inner circle, right? They may treat you well as far as you're concerned, but it's a red flag because of how they leave other people feeling, right? Or alternatively, a red flag could be someone who frequently gets caught out telling lies. Mm -hmm. And in the moment you find out they have lied, you feel terrible. You feel like you can't trust them. So that's about how it leaves you feeling. And I also think, paying attention to your gut is important. I know sometimes people think your gut is this like, pseudo notion and you should just completely disregard it. But it often comes from subconscious thoughts or feelings that we haven't directly confronted or picked up. And you may have this gut feeling about a person's behaviour, but paying attention to your gut allows you to open your eyes up and really actually witness the red flags Mm. in front of you. But I think, yeah, how they treat other people, how you feel after they treated you in a certain way and paying attention to your intuition.
0: Yeah, I think it's so important to pay attention to that because it's so easy to get caught up in emotions and the feelings of romance. Yeah, But there's always that little voice telling you if something is wrong
1: and it's so easy to just think, oh, go away, it's fine, it's fine. But I think it's really important to trust, like you said, trust your gut. So to continue our deep, meaningful chat, I wanna ask a question. How do you find the line between being your full self and protecting your energy early on?
0: It's interesting. I think the whole idea of protecting your energy is really about protecting your boundaries, right? And it's about establishing what you need from a relationship and what you will tolerate and what you won't. And I think it's really important to have that really clear in your mind very early on in a relationship and, you know, very often those things come to light from past relationships and you learn over time what kind of things you're not okay with. And you need to point that out early on, but at the same time, it's about trying to find a compromise between setting boundaries and protecting yourself while not being too didactic Mm -hmm. (laughs) and not being too intolerant. And I think the best way to do that is just to communicate with your partner, really. Because if you're both clear on what each other's boundaries are, then you're less likely to have conflict down the line because you already know. Well, I know that my partner doesn't like that. So I'm not I'm not gonna do that and that's fine and because they're gonna compromise
1: on this for me. And it's about finding that equilibrium and that balance. Yeah, I think you fit the nail on the head. Discussing boundaries, non-negotiables, mm. all the uncomfortable conversations.
0: Yeah. Okay, I have a question to ask you. How do you think you overcome loneliness and embrace alone time at the same time?
1: I think it's about like shifting perspective. I think we often see solitude as this sad thing when we can shift our perspective and see it as an opportunity to pour into ourselves, to invest in me time. So I think when it comes to loneliness, think about how you can fill that time with doing things that you love and you enjoy. The times I felt lonely, I would often say, okay, you know what? I'm feeling a bit down, feeling a bit lonely. What can I do to put myself up? It might be traveling, it might be doing something else I enjoy, like cooking or listening to an audiobook or watching a film. Like I have no shame. I'll go to the cinema on my own. I'll go to a restaurant on my own. I don't care. And I think that has really helped me manage that solitude because I now see alone time as. Tony, time as opposed to, oh, sad by myself, I don't have anybody time. It's literally time for me to pour into me. So I think shifting your perspective, doing things you love, and understanding that it's an opportunity for you to be selfish in a way that benefits you. Mm. I love going to the cinema on my own. Oh,
0: yes. I always find it really weird when people suggest doing that together because <laughs> you're not gonna talk to someone in the cinema. Right. It's like the worst first date. It, oh ever. My God, I always
1: say that. It's the worst first date. Yeah. Like, what are you gonna learn on that first date about the it's other so person? It's so weird.
0: You'll just have like a bit of chat and then you'll go sit in silence for two and a half hours.
1: I think that you know what, it's the worst first date, but perfect when you're like dating for the first time is like a teen mm. or like a yeah, preteen yeah, yeah, because yeah. it's like that awkward. We don't really want to talk anyway because we've never done this before, but at least I'm, like, by you. Yeah.
0: Okay, let's talk about the ick because I think that is something that has a very complicated meaning that people don't really understand and actually it can be quite an important thing to understand better because if you get it too soon, you could end up making mistakes and, you know, it's just a very nuanced subject that people kind of dismiss.
1: What do you think about the ick? So I think generally when people are referring to the ick, they're referring to being turned off or grossed out over something. It's good to not invalidate people's like legitimate concerns about others. And sometimes we are genuinely grossed out. Other times though, the ick can come from a darker place. And I think it's about understanding what is driving your ick. So in my book, I mentioned that sometimes people are comfortable with comfort zones that are unhealthy. And as an example, you might hear someone say, oh, he gave me the ick, and you ask why. And then they reply, he's too sweet, he's too nice. And you have to question, why does that give you the ick? Why is someone being nice to you or someone being affectionate or someone being polite or well-mannered off-putting to you? So the ick is definitely a nuanced subject, but I think people really need to think about it. When they get the ick, they should ask themselves, what is driving this turn-off?" is it something genuine and understandable and logical or is this a projection of something that I'm dealing with?
0: Mm, Yeah I think that's really important about distinguishing between the two because it's so easy to think oh it's the other person that's grossing me out when I think most of the time it's probably something that's going on in your head that you
1: probably need to address. Yeah have you ever had like a legitimate ick before or illegitimate ick before? An illegitimate (laughs) ick, I mean I get the ick all the time but I think,
0: yeah, I think it it does tend to be something that's really going on with me as opposed to the other person because I think very often, you know, there was a guy once who I started dating and I remember getting the ick after about three weeks and honestly it was nothing to do with him, it never is, he was perfectly nice and perfectly sweet to me. I just wasn't in the right headspace to be with someone at that time. So anyone would have given me the ick, I think. And that's the important thing. It's like, it's about your own mentality and no matter how nice that person is or how right for you they might be, they're not right for you at that moment in time.
1: All right, we're gonna wrap things up with some bits of advice for everyone listening. So Olivia, What are three ways to communicate with your partner that it's over?
0: Okay, so I think the first thing to do is make sure that you go straight into telling them that you want it to be over. Don't have some sort of 20-minute chat about how your day was or how work is going, because you're only going to end up wasting their time. You know, you're about to break up with someone. The least you can do is not waste their time. So my first tip is to just get straight into it. My second tip is probably to just try and make it. It sounds really cliche, the old line, oh, it's not you, it's me. <laughs> Don't say anything that's gonna leave that person clinging on to, oh, well, this is what's wrong with me and this is why this relationship didn't work. Try and make it all about you. You know, it's very standard, but just say I'm not in the right headspace, or I'm not really ready for a relationship right now, or this isn't really working for me anymore. Just try and make it about you and your needs not being met. And then I guess the third tip is get in quick, make it quick. And that is the best way to do it. You know, it's never a nice thing to do. That's the bottom line. But these are the best ways to make the best out of a bad situation. (laughs) Okay, Tony, tell me what to do when you have the ick.
1: Gosh, what to do when you have the ick. I think three things you could do quite easily immediately is to ask yourself what, is driving this ick like what is the root of the ick is it genuine dislike and distaste or are you projecting something else that's the first thing the second thing would be to marinate on it and when I say marinate I mean don't be impulsive because I think sometimes people feel that immediate ick and they just want to break up with that person or they want to walk away straight away give yourself some time to really process things and ask yourself whether walking away is something you really really want to do The last thing would be to communicate the ick. And I know some people will be like, "Mm, why should I have to do that? But one thing I write about is the fact that uncomfortable conversations are often required for comfortable relationships. And you might tell the other person about the ick and to your surprise, they could respond in a really positive way, i.e. they might say, you know what, I never knew you didn't like this. I'm really sorry. I'll try and change that. And for all you know, it can completely change your relationship and your perspective. So yeah, I would say marinate on the ick, don't be impulsive, consider what is driving the ick and speak to the other person about said ick. Okay, Tony, how do you tell your friends when you are unhappy in your relationship? I think talking to your friends about being unhappy in a relationship can be really tough because people often want to pretend that everything is fine on the surface. But I think it's important to understand that good friends want you to be happy and good friends wouldn't want you to put up a facade or put up a front. And it's easy to say, rip off the band-aid and just tell them. But I think one technique that could be helpful is to talk to your friends as if you're talking about a third person. So say to your friend, how would you feel if your partner did X, Y, Z? And then your friend would feedback. And then you can say, oh, okay, because I feel the same way. I'm not very happy. So-and-so did this. Or you could say, the reason why I'm talking to you about this is because I'm going through the same issue. And I think that disclosing this will tell you a lot about the kind of friends you have. And good friends will listen to you. Good friends will provide a shoulder to lean on. And good friends will want you to be happy. They won't ridicule you for being in an unhappy relationship. And even if you have put up a front in the past or a facade in the past that everything is okay, good friends will not hold that over you. Well, I think we've covered quite a lot in this conversation. We really have. It was so great speaking with you.
0: You too. Thank you so much for listening to the Benefit Broadcast, the Conceal or Reveal edition. Be sure to like and subscribe and tell your friends. You can find the video series of this podcast on Instagram at Benefit Cosmetics UK. Tune in next week for another great episode with a new set of hosts.
1: Bye-bye. Bye. This episode of the Benefit Broadcast, the Conceal
0: or Reveal edition, was hosted by Tony Tone and Olivia Petter. For more information on relationships and the topics covered in this episode, please see the show notes for links to resources, including our charity partner, Refuge UK. It was produced and edited by Content is Queen. Original creative production and casting by The Digital Fairy. Original music by Alice Boyd.